Hello, and welcome to the Fantastic Comic Fan Podcast. I am your host, R.T. Fleming. I'm here to help you find your next digital pick from the golden age to the present. Since I was a kid, I have been reading comics, and I have never lost my love of comic books. I try to pass on that excitement for comic books to others, always looking for that next fantastic read, or discovering an old favorite. It's Tuesday, June 14, 2022, and this is episode 44 of the Fantastic Comic Fan Podcast, and today is the first of three podcasts for the week. Tomorrow, John Dexter comes on to talk about his indie comic, Alpha Dogs. It's a story about a pit bull named Buck, who is feared by the public for his breed and size, but as kind-hearted as the dog as you can find. So much so that his harsh treatment by humans doesn't sway his mission. He journeys across the country in an attempt to track down a dangerous dog before he can carry out his owner's plan for revenge on all of America. John is one of the reasons I started doing more interviews with indie creators. A couple of months ago, I reviewed his comic for the podcast. But while reviews are vital, I also thought it would be more effective to have more creators on the podcast to talk about their comics. And again, I enjoyed the comic so much, I had to have John on the podcast. On Thursday, I'm teaming up with Billy Dunlady from A World of Fire podcast, which covers the All-Star Squadron, one of my favorite Bronze Age series. We're going to be talking Silver Age, specifically Mystery into Space 75, starring Adam Strange, and his guest stars are... Nah, you're just going to have to check out the episode to find out. Which brings me to today. We are talking about a creator who doesn't get the attention he should, Gardner Fox. Who better to discuss Fox than Jennifer DeRoss, who wrote Forgotten All-Star, a biography of Gardner Fox. Specifically, we are traveling to Batman's early Golden Age adventures, of which Fox wrote six Batman tales. I cannot tell you how much I enjoy having her on the podcast. Jennifer knows her stuff, and I hope to convince her to come back on the podcast in the future. If you like what you hear on today's episode, please spread the word. Suggest it to other comic fans. Look at the show notes and follow us on Twitter and Instagram and other social media. The more listeners who tune in, the more who might explore a new comic, help fund a Kickstarter campaign, or support an indie comic. As always, I want to hear from you about the good, the not-so-good things about the podcast, what you like, don't like, suggestions on what to cover. You're free to message me on Instagram, Twitter, or email me at fantasticcomicfan, all one word, at gmail.com. Now, on to today's show. Welcome back to the Fantastic Comic Fan Podcast. Today, my guest is Jennifer DeRoss. She's the first-time person on the podcast. And Jennifer, usually when I ask people as a first-timer, what was their comic book origins? How did you get into comic books and become a lifelong fan? Hi. So I would say that my comic book origin is a little unique. I grew up in the middle of nowhere and didn't have a lot of exposure to media and and current events and that kind of stuff. But my grandmother was a really big fan of comic books um, and, and comic strips. She would even like clip out strips she thought that were fun and mailed them to me. Oh, how <laughs> so I, I cool. I still had access that way. And then like everybody around me, like it wasn't just my my grandma, like my my stepdad was really into Spy versus Spy and would talk to me about the way in which it was actually like political commentary on 
on the Cold War and my biological father was really into like Adam's family and those sort of stories and really like looking at the the way in which we're the things that we think of as normal are maybe, you know, relative. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Um, and then, yeah, like I said, my, the comic books really came from my grandma who was a big DC fan. Um, and, you know, every time she'd go and buy her soap magazines, she'd always buy me a comic book too. That is so unusual to have a grandmother that actually reads comic <laughs> books and very cool though. Everybody that I have on there has such a unique, different comic book origin. Jennifer, you are an author. You wrote a book a few years ago called uh, Forgotten All-Star about Gardner Fox. Uh, and we're going to talk about one of Gardner Fox's stories in a few minutes. But how did that novel come up? I'm sorry. How did that memoir biography come out? What was the genesis? Uh, <laughs> I I didn't like set out to write a biography, which I think is is kind of the 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 elephant in the room, you know? Um, I went into the grad program at U of O and I had a focus of the modern American superhero going in. I also knew that they had the Gardner Fox collection there, which is his archive. And so when I entered into the grad program, I talked with the 19th century archives instructor and asked if I could use the Gardner Fox collection for my project. Pretty early on, I realized that there just wasn't a lot of outside resources, that the, the, the Gardner Fox story was really still like this giant gap in, in the literature, so to speak. And so the longer I worked with it, the more I learned about Gardner Fox and the more I saw it as an injustice that his story wasn't told, that he had done so much for the comic book industry, DC in particular, and he still isn't a common name. And so the more connected I got to the project, the more excuses I kept coming up with to continue my work. And eventually, yeah, it, it turned into a, a full-on biography. You mentioned that, and that's my problem with a lot of, when, when they talk about creators, they bring out the ones you know, like a few weeks ago when they're mm -hmm. like, Disney was like, we just bought the rights to Stanley and Stanley and Jack Kirby. And then I was like, well, well, wait a second. Was it? Yeah. It's, they're both important, but let's not forget Romita and Steve Ditko, yes, Marie yes, Severin yes. and Stan Goldberg who did the coloring and some of the other. Yes. Yeah. You know, let's not forget about these people and Gardner Fox. You're right. He's another name that really needs to get out there because he's so key and so influential and did thousands of comic strips, you know, when I was oh, yeah. doing my research. So when I have a guest on here, I usually let them pick the comic book they want to talk about or subject, because if they're enthused about it, hopefully the readers will be, or I'm sorry, my listeners will also be enthused about it. And you chose Detective Comics 29 and 23 from 1939. Why exactly did you choose those two? Well, I think the, the most obvious answer is that it is Gardner Fox's first attempt at writing Batman. So he came in, uh, this is actually just the third appearance of Batman, and Gardner Fox came in and did a run of six issues at this point in time and really kind of helped 
formulate who Batman would become. That's something that Gardner Fox is really good at is coming in and taking a look at a character and, and pointing them in the right direction. And then I think that it particularly resonated with me now because, well, the big Batman movie just came out and everybody has been talking about how much they want to see more Batman that's more focused on detective work and focusing on like the gadgets and all of that kind of stuff. And that is pure Fox right there. Um, in Detective Comics 29, we have him communicating via letters. And, you know, it was Gardner Fox that gave us the the Batarang that is such a, a exactly. part of the that movie. And so it's just one of those, it, it's, it's a fascinating snapshot. It's also a, a two-parter that tells the story of uh, Batman's first arch criminal, Carl Helfern, otherwise known as Dr. Death. Yes. Um, yeah, we get like the, the secret laboratory under Wade's Manor. And, and it's just, there's, there's so much that like really informs what we think of as far as Batman and really touches on where we're going with the character now. Okay. Uh, you know, back then, creative credits were not the norm. And it's, I, I find it frustrating as I'm trying to do research on things and I'll come up with an old comic book and they'll go, we have no idea who drew this. It could have been that person or this person. And luckily we know that Gardner Fox drew, I'm sorry, wrote these two issues, but mm -hmm. are they just normal Batman stories that nobody would actually, is there anything that makes them stand out in like a Gardner Fox way besides what you kind of told of already? Um, I would say that one of the things that might be most shocking for readers is the way that Gardner Fox's version of Batman at this point is not timid. No. <laughs> um, he, he flat out, you know, threatens death and uh, guns are very much a part of, of especially the second story. We, we get to see how Gardner Fox views guns as a gadget in a way. And I just, and, and like we, we get, you know, Gardner Fox was the first person to do that whole, I am vengeance thing. Like it, it, so it's very much that, that darker Batman. And it's also a more human Batman. I really like the fact that, you know, Batman gets shot and he has to go to the doctor and yes. the doctor's like, Hey, yo, what's up? And he's like, ah, oh, you know, I'm up to some, some well, weird and, stuff. Sometimes. And nowadays Batman getting <laughs> shot or stabbed or anything else is like a common thing. But back then that really didn't happen very often. Exactly. Exactly. So how many Gardner Fox and Batman stories were there? Did he just write six or did he jump back and forth with the character? Oh, okay. So that is really a question for an indexer, I gotta I, say. I understand. Um, and even, even that six issue run, like we know that he, he had that one six issue run, but I, I would say that uh, Rob Hughes convincingly argues that Fox wrote more than we know. So the legend goes that Fox was originally hired as a ghostwriter because Finger took a lot longer than Fox did to write a script. And they were also, you know, published out of order and we don't have confirmation on all of the credits. So it, it's it's hard to say how many he actually wrote in the Golden Age. And then it, he actually came back in the 60s, starting with uh, Batman 173. 171, uh, The Remarkable Ruse of the Riddler, which uh, brings Riddler into the Silver Age. And then it also provided the storyline for the first couple episodes of the Batman TV show, too. I would say Fox wrote at least 20 
stories in uh, the Silver Age. And then there's also, you know, all the stories that are in the Justice League. And then his at least another six Batgirl stories. And it's one of those, like, it's really hard to pinpoint an exact number. I'm doing a, a, a sub project as I was waiting for you on Charlton Comics that came out in 1962. I was going to the uh, Comic Book Plus and I was like amazed at how many comic books that people have archived, digitized, so that newer fans and older fans can go back and look at some of these older Golden Age and Silver Age where a lot of creators got their start. But DC has never been really great at -hmm. taking their archives and putting it out there. Like you're talking about these detectives. The one issue, the first issue is on the DC Infinite Service. But the rest of the issues are not. But I know there's a digital copy because I went to Hoopla and loaned myself the copy. And I'm like, I'm hoping that the new owners of DC will be better caretakers of DC, not just now, but its legacy. All these things that were built on to make what DC is now, the Gardner Foxes and all these old ancient comic books that people should be able to read and look out. Like you said, this is Gardner Fox. These two issues are important. They should be there. And I agree with that. Unfortunately, like I said, they're not on there, but I, I hope the new stories will actually do that. So Gardner Fox obviously did other characters like the Sandman, the Flash. How does his Batman stories like differ from these other superhero stories that he wrote? I would say that one of the things Gardner Fox is really good about, we talk about, you know, his his lack of characterization and things, you know, like there's a lot of, of, of teasing that I would say he receives as well. But I would say that one of the ways in which we maybe don't realize he's building characterization is really understanding a hero's stick. So for Sandman, for instance, it's a harder thing to talk about because of the way in which his his gun changes the powers. Like sometimes it's, it's, you know, based on things that you can do with stand, but then also there's the whole sleeping thing. Like it's, it's a harder thing to tease out, but with flash, a lot of his villains play with speed, the way in which his, his, like everything about that character is based in some way like um, for instance, the thinker, you wouldn't immediately, jump to speed as as being a part of that but flash is the fastest man on earth he he's he's always going to be one step ahead ahead of everybody except for the thinker is always thinking one step ahead right like <laughs> right it's it's one of those things that like it it really just comes down to understanding the shtick and i would say with batman it was harder for Fox to find that. That's one of the things looking at that first six issues, it seemed like he was really trying to explore what it is to be a Batman and kind of playing with more vampiric aspects, you know, like for instance, he's got Batman having suction cups that he he can attach to his body so he can climb up walls, which is very, you know, if it, we may not see it come up as as often in our popular media, but that's something that that was a part of uh, Stoker's original Dracula was that, you know, the vampires could climb up and down the walls like a lizard. Um, and so we see him kind of playing with those more gothic aspects of, of Batman. And then later on, it wasn't something he didn't necessarily want to write Batman. He he was much happier writing Dr. Strange, or I mean, uh, Adam Strange. And uh, so at that point, like he was 
very much in his, you know, 60s camp era. And uh, Fox was not a huge fan of that. he actually, uh, in Batmania 22, Ken Gale actually brings up uh, The Penguin Takes a Flyer into the Future, which is uh, Batman 190, as the worst story he'd ever read. And <laughs> did not hesitate to agree. <laughs> Got you. So you, you believe that Gardner Fox didn't necessarily have an affinity for writing Batman, but he really tried to make each of his heroes stand out in his own in their own yeah. way? It's like yeah. He, he wasn't like making like, okay, this is just a superhero. He wasn't like cookie cutting the superheroes into the story, but he was actually trying to say, okay, this is a Batman. This is a, this. Yeah. let's make the story fit that particular character. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that, you know, if we're talking affinity, I would say he had, he shows much stronger affinity for Batgirl who he uh, co-created actually. And by that Like, I think that one of the most interesting things he does with her is really the emphasis on the fact that she's a librarian. So again, it's that taking it back to like who Batgirl is as a researcher, you know, she turns to the card catalogs (laughs) when in doubt. And so that's where, like, that's something he's passionate about. And that's something that he actually, like his personal life is tied in. His sister was a librarian. And so I do think that you can kind of see some of the the playing with that as, as, you know, what a a female superhero could look like. Okay. How does Gardner Fox, because he had decades worth of material, but his quality and quantity of work, how does it stack up to some of the other people that we know about, but newer fans might not know about? Well, I would say that the first thing to understand is that Gardner Fox wrote over 4,000 stories. Not everything is going to be a flash of two worlds or a Solomon Grundy goes exactly. on page. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think it can be fairly argued that Gardner Fox's writing is formulaic. Um, and... I would counter that with, you know, that he he regularly exhibited a lot of creativity and that makes up for those skills he lacks. Like he'll he'll find some weird factoid somewhere and know exactly what to do with that, know exactly how to form an entire story around that. Like that, I think, is is something that is that is an important quality that we don't praise as much as we should. And then I'd also say that like his worlds are, are really fun and more important to me, they're informative. They're filled with moral lessons. This is one of the things that uh, Jerry Bales talks about a lot. For those who don't know, Jerry Bales is the father of comic fandom and uh, the subject of my next biography. But he he would read Gardner Fox's stories like the Bible and he claimed that it gave him his ethical underpinning. And to me, that that speaks volumes. I, I think that that, if we're talking about quality, there's a lot of different ways you can read that. To, but to me, that's an important factor to consider. Gotcha. I understand. Uh, do you think going in the future, I know it's kind of hard because it's like a crystal ball prediction. Do you think maybe Gardner Fox would actually like become a better name person that he would get more of the credit he deserves, even in mainstream press? Instead of just, oh, look, it's Bob Kane and the creators of, you know, Jack Kirby, the new guys. It's like, well, do you think DC DC will ever like uplift his name, Gardner Fox, more like it should be? I think that the big reason that DC doesn't want to shine 
the spotlight that he deserves. And I, I feel so nervous every time I talk about these sort of things because right. of the entity that DC is. Yes. But uh, shining a spotlight on their older creators also shines a spotlight on their treatment of the older creators. And, you know, there was the the big writers union where they they basically said, hey, we've given our lives to you. Do you think maybe you could give us some retirement? Do you think maybe healthcare could be something that we could talk about? And DC pretty much responded by pushing them all out. That's um, true. And so I think that if we were to tell the full story, DC wouldn't come out in the best light. So before we wrap this up, you said you're writing a biography of Jerry Bale, who I know, and you just told about how did that project come about of all, all people? <laughs> well, much like the way in which I just became emotionally attached to the, the project of, of writing about Gardner Fox and making sure that his, his story was told. Doing that work, I read a lot of letters by Jerry Bales to Gardner Fox. I, I, you know, one of the things that I do in Forgotten All-Star is kind of tell the story of the, the comic industry itself, because Gardner Fox was there before Superman came out and stayed with it all the way through to the, the rise of uh, the re-rise, I should say, because there were always independent comics. You know, Gardner Fox wrote for several independent um, Columbia, yes. et cetera. But uh, the, the big rise of the, the creator owned independent comics, you know, with Eclipse and all of that. So he, he really his story is the story of comics in a way. And then alongside that is also comic fandom. So Gardner Fox was there at the beginning, like talking with Jerry Bales, like Zero had just come out. And, and so there was all of the success and, and he really encouraged Jerry Bales to, to move forward with his fan projects. Gardner Fox was one of the first subscribers of Alter Ego, for instance. And so it was another one of those, the more I got to know Jerry Bales, the more emotionally attached I became to him, the more I realized how big of an impact he had and the way in which his story is also an important one to tell and his voice is an important voice to bring into our, our modern era. Before we wrap this up, is there anything else you would like to add? Thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, as I, as we were talking before, I'm really trying to get more people of all types and diversities and ages and even people who aren't normally into comic books to have a dialogue. And you are a great guest. I appreciate you making the time in your day to come on. I would love to have you again in the future, talking again about whatever you feel like you want to talk about. <laughs> that sounds fun. All right. Thank you so much for being here. I will have a show link to your book in um, the show notes. Again, Jennifer, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and you have a great day. Thank you very much. I hope you have a good day too. Well, that's it for today's podcast. Again, I would love to hear from you at fantasticcomicfan at gmail.com. Remember, new episodes every Wednesday. Thanks so much for listening to this episode, and I hope to see you next time. <laughs>